Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Welcome, welcome, welcome. You have arrived at this installment of Rated LGBT Radio. I am your host, Rob Watson. And as always, we have um, a really incredible show for you today. Uh, Today we are talking about a new movie that is not out yet. In fact, it premieres at Outfest this weekend. The movie is called Firebird. And oh my God, this movie is an absolute must-see whenever you can see it, wherever you can see it. It is beautiful. It is, um, let alone being one of the best LGBTQ movies, it is one of the best romance movies, I think, of almost all time. I mean, it is so beautifully shot. The performances are real, authentic. The script is nuanced. It is, um, it's, it's, uh, it's a stunning movie, and um, we're going to get into what it's about. We have the star of the film, Tom Pryor, and the director, uh, Peter Ruvain, on the line, on deck, waiting to talk to us about it. Um, they both co-authored the script for this movie, um, but it is I, – I can't get over it. I, I've watched it, and I can't stop thinking about it, and it is, it is that impactful and – Um, Like I said, we will talk about that in just a few minutes. Um, In the meantime, I want to welcome on um, the editor of the L.A. Blade and my co-host, Brody Levesque, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what is going on today. Hey, Brody. Hey, Rob. Good afternoon, good morning, and good day to our listeners around the globe. Uh, we really appreciate you guys uh, spending an hour with us once a week. Um, and let's get right to it. Um, we got word earlier today uh, from Grozny and the Russian Federation uh, from the lawyer who represented two brothers from Chisnia who uh, Russian authorities had returned to their homeland uh, that uh, they had been tortured. Uh, my colleague at the Washington Blade, Michael Labors, reports that the Russian LGBTQ network in a press release uh, said that uh, Alexander Mimov on Thursday had met with the two brothers in the jail in Grozny, the Chechnyan capital, where they're currently being held. Um, now, he had been previously barred from seeing his clients um, under the pretense, according to Rus LGBT, uh, that they had COVID-19 uh, and that the employees of the detention facility didn't provide uh, the attorney, Mr. Nemoff, with any justifications. Um, according to Russo LGBT, uh, Nemoff finally managed to talk to the detainees and they shared what had been happening to them. Uh, they had been subjected to great violence um, and kind of walked through it. The problem with these two brothers uh, is their sexual orientation, and they had fled to Russia itself, um, and the Chechnyan authorities uh, had specifically requested that they be returned. Now, this is an ongoing uh, problem uh, in Chechnya. The person who was installed by Russian President Vladimir Putin um, is is really just an incredibly homophobic, vindictive, petty little tyrant. Uh, and the government uh, that he has installed there works hand-in-hand um, with the Muslim majority, uh, mullahs and other religious figures. Uh, and they have literally been tracking down and torturing, particularly gay men, uh, and in some cases murdering them uh, for the better part of probably close to the last at least six to eight years that I've been directly involved uh, in not only reporting on this story, but also directly involved in getting some of the Chechnyans out. Uh, We've managed to get some of the Chechnyans to my homeland of Canada, to my hometown of Toronto, uh, somewhere in Vancouver and British Columbia. 
Others are still, unfortunately, sadly trapped inside the Russian Federation. Um, and as you know, Rob, uh, I've been covering Russian, well, anything to do with Russia I've been covering uh, for a very long time. Right. Uh, and as a direct result of my being at one point married to a great Russian and having been exposed to the Russo LGBT, I've lived inside the country. I know the people. Uh, and this is really a mess. And um, it's been made dramatically worse uh, uh, by the extremists uh, in the Russian government itself, uh, who, as you know, passed that onerous uh, propaganda law in, I believe, 2013. Um, it's just it's a hot mess. So but Chechnya is a special case with all the anti-LGBT uh, nonsense that goes on inside the Russian Federation. Right. Um, and uh, is, there, is, there any, is there any? Is there any? Are there any efforts on the outside to help these two brothers? I mean, or is the world Rus- just observing yeah, this yeah, and Rus- hands off? No, Rus LGBT has been coordinating uh, with uh, Peter Tatchell's foundation, Human Rights Watch, Human Rights First. Um, there has been um, a lot of work to try and do things. There's unfortunately what you run into uh, is that the Putin government has so severely restricted the ability uh, of folks to work uh, in even in human rights issues uh, when it comes down to this. And the Russian LGBT groups, unfortunately and sadly, have to keep a very low, um, you know, profile um, uh, as a direct result. Some of the early reporting was actually, believe it or not, from an independent Russian um, uh, outfit, Novieta uh, Gazeta, which uh, bravely reported on the original Chechen uh, crackdown on the gay population. Um, and so there is some work there, but it's uh, it's very much efforts led from folks outside the Russian Federation, and of course, very much so outside of Chechen itself. Um, but it, it's an ongoing problem, um, and it, it's something that unfortunately and sadly uh, has a very uh, high cost uh, in human lives, uh, and it really is just it's tragic. Uh, so yeah, that's no, the, definitely, and yes, and uh, it'll actually it provides some interesting background um, for our discussion today because the the film we're going to mm-hmm. be discussing is actually set in that region and has a lot to do with um, the same society that you're talking about. Um, what well, other the, things the, are the, in the news today? Yeah. The, the other part of it, too, is, and then I'll go back to the rest of the news, the, the other part of it is that, you know, a lot of this is what we would consider legacy uh, from Article 121 in the old Soviet days uh, uh, in, in, in the ways that the Soviet Union treated uh, you know, the LGBTQI community. The most recent, uh, however, has been led by the patriarch of the uh, Russian Orthodox Church, uh, Carol, and along with outside influences, unbelievably, from the American uh, Christian right, which is also, unfortunately, sadly, directly impacted and influenced, you know, the Russian efforts uh, to essentially neutralize their LGBTQ population. Uh, other parts of the news today. Um, there was a, an article today in Bloomberg, and I haven't had a chance to fully research it yet, but apparently the creator content platform OnlyFans, which is predominantly used by um, creators and sex workers and, you know, kind of an, a creative outlet, although it's, it does have a base of other creators, has announced that uh, it's going to crack down and uh, – you know, basically deplatform uh, the sex workers and, and the people that make money. You know, with that part of of a, of a you know what is, goes on in social media, and so a safe space for LGBTQ creators, especially trans creators, is now being taken away. Um, according to Bloomberg, the impetus by OnlyFans uh, to get more traditional forms of investments and financing has led to this decision. Uh, apparently they'll be shutting down, you know, any type of accounts that would be in that um, venue, if you will, uh, in October. So that's a currently trending right. story. And, uh, and you yeah, know, and if, of- if, 
if um, if you follow me on Twitter, um, I actually had a tweet that has gone viral on this subject, um, and my tweet was, in other news, Hershey has banned chocolate, and Walt Disney has banned Mickey Mouse. I mean, that's yeah, how much sense this whole thing makes. It, it's ridiculous. It, it, it's ridiculous. So, um, but uh, before we bring our two gentlemen guests on, um, I, I've also seen the film. I want to say right up front, this is an incredible bit of filmmaking. Folks, you need to see this picture. It's amazing. Uh, to Tom, um, I have a message from uh, one of uh, the young Roos LGBT folks that I rescued and helped out who now lives in New York City. He's a photographer, uh, Andre Minoff. He goes by the professional name Astorkoza, which is the Russian word for uh, dragonfly. And I was told today to tell Tom uh, that Andre was beyond thrilled with the picture. Thank you so much. Apparently, he'd exchanged some direct messages on Instagram with Tom. But Andre just wanted me to say to you, Tom, you know, spasibo bolshoi. And with that, Tom, I'm going to throw it back to you. All right. Good, good of you to point that out to Tom when he can't respond yet. But uh, that's how we do things here. So, all right. Well, well, like Brody said, um, obviously, um, uh, both he and I, speaking of OnlyFans, we are big fans of um, uh, the movie we're going to be talking about, uh, Firebird, that um, is set in the Soviet Air Force during the Cold War. Um, uh, Tom plays Sergei, who is a troubled uh, private, um, and he is actually, when the movie opens, He's counting his days till he gets out of uh, the military. Um, in his life, he, is, he has a close um, relationship with a young woman um, on the base where he's, he's stationed, and in arrives a, a daring fire, fighter pilot named Roman. And both, um, Roman, or both Sergei and Luisa, who is the um, young woman who is his friend and um, actually has a crush on him. Um, both of them are very taken by Roman. Uh, the bulk of the film is about the relationship between Roman and Sergi and um, a gay relationship in, the, in that environment that is, uh, as we talked about, you know, from the legacy of uh, the Soviet environment, which is very oppressive anyway, and for gay people is, um, incredibly so. Um, but it is, the film is so beautifully done. It is um, cinematically wonderful. It is nuanced. The script is intricate. Um, it has you from the beginning moment. And um, the authenticity of it all is astounding. Um, and with that, I would like to uh, welcome on to the show so they can speak for themselves. Um, Peter and Tom, welcome, guys. Hi. Hi. <laughs> yeah, thank so, you so uh, much for such an amazingly warm uh, and complimentary reception. We're kind of not really used to people <laughs> speaking of the film in such a way. So that's really amazing to hear. Yeah, we wanted to let you know if you were gearing up for a fight, you probably came to the wrong show. <laughs> I, I do want to say to you both, um, again, repeating what I said earlier uh, from Andre, uh, you know, Spasiba, but also, you know, I would like to tell you both, Malidet uh, Atlishna, that Kino was amazing. Uh, Tom, your portrayal of Sergei was just incredible. Uh, and Peter, your job as a director, dude, you deserve some sort of honor for that because it's not often you see such tight cinema photography and, you know, dealing with what you guys were dealing with. And I know that it's based on a true story. Uh, my, you know, just, you know, Atlishna, that's to you both. So, so Tom, that speaks to your performance that Brody is actually speaking Russian to you. Um, so <laughs> hope you understood all that. Um, Peter, take us back to you were the one who discovered this this core material originally, 
and um, started the original version of the script. Um, take us back to that. How did you come across it, and what attracted you to it? Well, a friend of mine um, received the original story written by the Russian actor uh, Sergei Fatisov and based on his own uh, life at the Berlin, uh, Berlinale Film Festival. And she knew that I was looking for material for my first feature and brought it to me. And I read it over a weekend at home in my broken Russian. And I literally I cried and I... I just couldn't believe how this kind of a relationship could have existed at the time, at the height of the Cold War and in the Soviet Air Force. So I started talking to other people and discovering more stories of, of really forbidden love in the Soviet Army and, um, and then started writing it. So after a few years of learning really how to write the script, because I'd worked only on music uh, videos and uh, documentaries before, we were introduced um, actually by a producer from here in Los Angeles with Tom, with the intention of uh, Tom uh, playing the role of Sergei. And then we shot a sizzle reel of two scenes to demonstrate the concept to potential financiers. And, uh, and then Tom started making some uh, suggestions on how to improve the script. Yeah, I, I kind of what? Uh, made some sort of slight thoughts and recommendations on sort of word switches initially and then phrase switches and then following this uh, this teaser shoot uh, we then sort of did sort of like a couple of weeks worth of notes and then that ended up with being two years of fully fledged rewriting of the story and much more sort of sociological and political sort of like alignment and then actually going to meet the real Sergei in Russia in Moscow and uh, interview him and get to know him. Well, it, it is intriguing seeing the film. I didn't read the information on you guys and, you know, kind of your process until after I saw the film. But once I did, I could see the evidence of it looking backwards because the film is the script, just going on the script part alone, is crafted in this poetic way where, um, the you know concepts build from the beginning to the end of the film, and things are revealed, and it is it is orchestrated in, in such a um, uh, poetic way. I mean, it's like you hit you hit the right notes throughout, and then fed through this is this emotional through line that speaks from the heart of the actor. I mean, where you know, the, the reality and the flesh out of all the characters is so three-dimensional and, and there's such a spiritual level to it. And so you could see kind of the fingerprints, if you will, of each of your creativity folding in there, which, is, uh, which makes it as in-depth as I think it, it comes off. Um, Tom, you just mentioned that you guys met with the real Sergei. What, what, what was that like, and what surprised you about him versus the material you both had been working with? Well, it, as you said, it was a treasure trove um, for us as writers, and and I believe for Thomas Actor and for me as director to really be able to pick the brain of the of the person whose story we uh, we are portraying, and it was it was very humbling. He was such a loving person considering what he had gone through in life to remain so positive and so compassionate and really so full of life and love uh, towards other people and and even he told us you know please make this film about love not politics even though it is a highly has a highly uh, important social impact mission and uh, and I guess Tom Tom is probably even more um, more relevant to talk about how what it what it was like to meet uh, the person that um, you represent in the film yeah you know it's a real uh pressure to um you know meet somebody and then be effectively writing their legacy 
um, and and then also extending that into how you're going to portray somebody, how they will be remembered. And um, it was just so amazing to get to to get to know somebody who really lived so much from his heart. Like we were in the suburbs of Moscow, uh, going for dinner one evening, like in a, in a pretty sort of seedy area, and uh, you know he was sort of openly like flirting with the male waiter who was serving us, but in a way that was like just from this kind of like kindness and curiosity, not in a sort of sleazy way, but in a way that was just so like sort of heartfelt and humbling and really like a sort of appreciative. And that was kind of like really the sort of vein in which I wanted to play him in the film is that once Sergei sort of gets unlocked, as it were, by by the interaction with Roman and meeting Roman in the film, he really then sort of like lives much more from his heart, much more heart on his sleeve and really goes after love against all the odds and against the situation in which they're living. And, you know, even when the situation seems hopeless and dire without putting in too many spoilers of the film here, right. um, he, he sort of like proceeds like, kind of follow that and live in, live in hope and stay true to himself and that's really what i took from meeting the real you know the real man and the the honor to get to know him and and also the the devastation which actually i felt when um learning actually about his death so he passed away uh in 2017 so like the year before we shot the film and uh peter oh. and i actually got the news when we were together and um, having got to know him like through this time, we sort of spoke with his best friend and said, you know, would it be appropriate for us to go to the the funeral? Um, and so he said, of course, like if you feel it's sort of resonant. So we actually made the trip to back to Russia and actually from Moscow, we took a train three hours to his hometown in Oriel and uh, went to his wake and then went to a very traditional Russian Orthodox burial and it was a very surreal moment for me as as a human really to be kind of amongst that atmosphere of of the sort of uh, the incense going around and all the kind of um, the sort of religious paraphernalia as it were and just sort of being lost in this moment and just sort of committing to to tell his story in the best way that we could and, and to play him with as much honor and uh and to subdue him proud that 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 i i'm like i'm almost devastated to hear that he did not get to see what you you put together and what how how you portrayed that that i you know i mean a, a spiritual sense i'm sure he's watching but um you know that that is that is devastating um tom i'm i'm trying so hard not to just go all fanboy all over you um because it is almost impossible to watch this film and not literally fall in love with you um you embody the the character and the the feelings of love so purely and so um unabashedly in this film um what what did it take from you personally to to open yourself up um, in this way? Well, I mean, the the preparation, uh, you know, a huge amount of the preparation was actually writing the story. And that's honestly a real gift to be able to have prepared in such a way. Like I, I trained formally like as an actor and then I actually went and did a lot of writing after my training. And I found that actually that kind of doubled over my kind of efforts and also connection with material. And so, like, to be able to be given the opportunity to create in such a way, and, you know, that's really thanks to also Peter for his trust in that. It was, it was amazing preparation to be able to sort of, like, know the sort of psychology of the scene and, and then just really, like, open up. And I did a lot of sort of actors preparation to that as well and sort of being open to all the different possibilities. But, you know, I was very, I was, I was sort of astounded that sometimes I would sort of fit into the scene. There's a scene quite towards the end of the film. Again, I don't want to do any spoilers, but 
right. when uh, Soge gets some news and reacts to it. And, you know, in, in those moments, I honestly, like, almost like it wasn't even me doing something. It was kind of something coming through me to do something. And um, in in that regard, it was, it was, re- it was really amazing to basically having prepared myself to be open to perform in such a way. And um, that's honestly been, for me, it's something really, really special to be able to like have that level of immersion. Um, and, you know, there's some really difficult emotions to have to play in this, in this uh, film. And sometimes I would sort of have to go and go into almost like a decompression chamber, like afterwards, just to sort of like allow it to kind of come off me. There was, there's one scene in the film which actually uh, we shot almost nothing chronologically, but there's one scene in the film where the catharsis, which follows the previous scene, was just like so incredible because the, I was sort of so sort of somehow connected to the material that the following scene, which is a scene of emotional relief, just became very overwhelming and strong. But um, but yeah, it, it was uh, it was amazing to be able to prepare in such a way and then be able to sort of be open to playing and, and again with thanks to Peter's direction which can be very like very open-minded as a director to a, sort of allow uh, the actors to, to sort of um, contribute uh, what they can and so I was able to sort of play the spectrum of colors and offer different perspectives um, and so like you know I'd say like you know can I try doing it this way or maybe I've got like another another version like up here and that's always something that interests me as an actor is to be able to play something in a way that you wouldn't necessarily expect it to be played. No, it, it was, everything was organic and Peter, to your credit, um, that is true. Not only from Tom's performance, which was, was uh, outstanding and obviously the pinnacle of the film, but also from the other major um, cast member, well, no, not major, all of them, all the cast members, even the ones that would in another film be very two dimensional, they seem to exude this third dimension of humanity, even when their behavior was fairly inhuman. Um, it, it really, I mean, it, it really speaks to that depth, but um, the three leads um, uh, besides Tom, you had Oleg who played um, uh, Roman and uh, Diana who pay, played Louisa. They all came from very different backgrounds. In fact, Oleg, uh, from what I understand, could barely speak English when you guys started. Um, how did you pick them? And obviously they are your palette that you pulled this all together with. Um, what was your uh, methodology in bringing the three of them together? Well, initially we, uh, and thank you for your compliment about the performances, I think, as my directing uh, professor, Judith Weston, uh, always said that 90% of the director's job is casting. And after that, you let the actors uh, do their work. So, so uh, we, we made a decision uh, early on whether to shoot the film in English or in Russian. And uh, that was motivated, I think, uh, by several factors. One, to make the story widely available to everyone. And second, because we learned that the majority of uh, established actors in Russia were afraid to touch the material. They said, I love the story, but I can't do it because it can damage my career. So having made that decision, we made the next decision that we don't want to shoot it in kind of RP standard English that would make it more of a British costume drama. So we... We made a decision also that we don't want to shoot it in this very heavy, typical Russian accent, which many films do, because it's the easiest thing to do is just to add this I am speaking with a Russian accent type of thing. And um, and then we opened up the casting really worldwide. We decided because we are going to work on the accents, we will cast the best Luisa and the best uh, Roman and the best Volodya and the best Polkovnik that we can really find. And I think we had about 2,400 auditions for the two main uh, uh, roles. And it took us months. And at one point, we got already a bit uh, a bit worried. It was, I think, May, and we still hadn't found our Roman. And we were casting in Moscow at the time. And he just, Oleg, just walked in one day and 
it was clear from the first few seconds that that's our Roman. Except for the one little problem that he didn't speak almost any English. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, oh that. <laughs> we we actually had to um, hire a dialect coach, uh, Catherine Charlton, who did an amazing job working with the cast throughout that summer and also during the whole shoot. And and her task was really to bring because. Diana is Russian, Tom is British, Jake is British, and obviously Oleg is Ukrainian. So we have three different or almost four different accents. And to bring them into a similar space uh, to be able to really present this as one world. And um, that was was a very, uh, actually, huge challenge, but it allowed us the freedom to really cast the people that we felt are right for their role, not because of what they have done, their credits, but because of being the the kind of human beings that fit the character. Let me jump in here real quick, uh, Peter. As a wire service reporter who uh, lived uh, in the Soviet Union and reported from there, uh, I lived in the Russian Federation, and uh, my life is you know, deeply immersed in that cult. Portrayed and what was going on. Um, I'm going to tell you, and Tom, you as well, you guys and your cast hit the mark in terms of authenticity, the sound, and the vibe of Russian Soviet culture. That film was not the type of film where it looked like everything was just painted on. It was authentic. The accents were spot on. The attitude and the body language. And that's coming from someone who lived in Moscow for quite a while. So uh, let me pass my personal congratulations on. You two nailed it. So did your cast. Thank you so much. Thank you. I think, as you well pointed out, besides the cost, the production design was was clearly a critical element and uh, we shot uh, at 46 different locations I believe so we really looked and searched for still remaining buildings and fixed them up like we shot in the real barracks of the Soviet border guards at the real old abandoned airfields for Soviet MiGs so I think that that's probably one of the reasons as well that the locations are actually most of them authentic real Soviet Army. Yeah, it's and I will echo, I'll kind of pick up that thread line of, of authenticity um, because apart from the the cultural and um, you know environmental authenticity that you were able to pull together, that authenticity pulled through into each of the characters and the emotions of of, of each of the of the, the key people on the film. Every time there was a scene, you uh, the dialogue is perfect, but you almost didn't need it because all you needed to do was watch the eyes and the looks and the the faces of the actors and the nuance of, of every piece of the of the story was was told there. Um, Tom, what the rapport with the three of you and the chemistry was just perfection. How did you achieve that? How did you make that connection with um, the other actors um, to to get it to that level? Well, uh, thank you for the 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 kind words. Um, really, like the curious thing about the the process of getting the chemistry right in the like in the rehearsals and then into the shooting period was about. It was kind of interesting that it was kind of also about what we didn't find out from each other as well. You know, the during this time in the Soviet Union, a lot of, like, the the nuances are actually all in exactly, as you said, what's not said. And it's also in what we didn't write. Um, you know, th- this is a time where there was no language to be able to scale this territory particularly when it comes to sort of same-sex relationships, there was no language to be able to, you know, say, are you into this or are you into that? Or, you know, 
any kind mm-hmm. of, sort of sexual preference for that matter as well. And so, you know, also the fact that uh, Oleg and I couldn't actually communicate that freely because of his level of English and and obviously my love speaking Russian really. Um, it it was the there was actually this kind of barrier between us a uh, a point of view of sort of communicating and getting to know each other deeper, which meant that the sort of chemistry went beyond the kind of like social uh, learnings which one could do about the other one, actually kind of more about the, the sort of physiological space. Um, and the kind of space between between the the two guys kind of almost is its own character. Whereas with like Louisa, for example, and, and getting to know Diana, when she came into the audition, uh, she also reminded me so fondly of somebody who, who was in my life before that there was sort of like this sort of instantaneous kind of connection again there as well, like with her and, and um, this kind of, unsaid and unspoken about relationship and feelings that they have for each other I think also sort of worked out very well it was it was really amazing to to actually have such different backgrounds which kind of again caused this kind of consistent curiosity uh, between the the three because there was never this fully um, exposed I knew everything about you kind of transparency that maybe we have more nowadays. There's a lot more held, there's a lot more ambiguity, and that's also, you know, something very inherently strong within the Soviet Union and the society at the time as well. It was much more about, you know, what goes on behind closed doors. Nobody really, like, speaks around, but then you can kind of do whatever you want in theory behind those closed doors. Um, providing that it doesn't really like upset the system, so that's what was was kind of amazing to sort of, to sort of walk that line of getting to to know uh, both Diana and Oleg, but in a way that was sort of maybe more like a bit unconventional. That somebody said, you know, we didn't just exactly like go to a bar and you know speak for for six hours and you know share everything. It was actually a, in some ways it was it was the space around those which I think really left the sort of ambiguity and curiosity is still there. Yeah, it, and that's fascinating because it, that what you're describing, I mean, that, that essence comes through in, in a very big way. And, it, it, again, it's amazing. Like there's one scene in the film where a character runs into the three of you on the street, and she's talking to Lisa, and she goes, oh, who is this, your husband and your brother? And, and it sort of – speaks to that effect that the three of you, I mean, it's almost like that character in the film is almost like an audience member looking at you guys seeing this, and I'm going to use the cliche word chemistry that sort of defines the relationships, um, even without you guys having to say anything. It's just the, the essence you each bring to it. Um, I wanted to shift mm-hmm. gears again, one thing that's, in, that's sort of a through line in the film, and it's kind of this background of the theater and the theater arts uh, behind the the, the storyline, and um, I found it really fascinating that um, that Sergei was studying Shakespeare so often, and a lot of the drama talking points were around Shakespeare. In fact, at one point, um, you were having a discussion about love and Romeo and Juliet with a, an actor. Um, from a scene there. And uh, the thing that struck me, and you can tell me whether I'm now overgoing it and reading way much into the film, but I found there to be almost a parallel between Shakespeare and the film in that Shakespeare wrote about some plot lines that were fairly um, routine. I mean, it was like, you know, like the Romeo and Juliet um, plot line and the Hamlet plot line of, of people doing things. But the, the thing that made those pieces great was how he fleshed out the characters on top of those scenes. And some of the plot of Firebird is, um, I think one reviewer said, you know, this is, this is a plot line that is going to seem familiar. We've seen it in other films. Like there are a lot of uh, Merchant Ivory films that have, 
sort of similar parallels to the Sergey and Roman um, relationship. But the thing that, for me, that fleshed out, just like Shakespeare in this film, is you made these people very real. And so, yes, many people went through the, the dilemma that they went through in, in varying ways. But the thing is, you told the real story of real people and made that real for the audience. Um, anyway, did you want to comment on that? Well, I mean, firstly, thank you so much for picking up on that. <laughs> it's amazing how how sometimes people do skip the details, which, you know, we went into so thoroughly through this process and deliberately so. I mean, when I was first brought into the project, um, I took a while, actually, uh, as when I was writing, I took a while to actually not read Sergei's original memoir um, all the way through and actually just began sort of like working into the script before that. And I kind of had this sort of like residing wish to keep on putting Shakespeare into the film. I had no idea why. Uh, I was like, oh, it's probably my Royal Academy uh, training in London sort of like bleeding into wanting to try and affect this. But Shakespeare has been such a significant part of my life anyway as, as, a, as, a, as a person. And um, it was kind of like then miraculous to find later on that actually when I sat down and finally read Sergei's original story um, a little later on in the writing process that almost every single chapter starts with a Shakespeare quote. And I was like, <laughs> it kind of bled into my awareness somehow, because at the time that sort of strand of of um, of the uh, story didn't exist before I kind of came to it. Um, it was it was like a kind of added added sort of like uh, thread that I wanted to put in, and then sort of looking more and more into the the Soviet Union, the history of Shakespeare in the Soviet Union. I mean, in the 1960s, there were over 300 different productions of Shakespeare going on in the Soviet Union at one time. And so, again, like some people have said, you know, why on earth pick Shakespeare? And actually, Shakespeare was amazingly prevalent in the Soviet Union during this time. And, and you know, was a very celebrated writer and highly performed. And, um, and you know, also meeting the real Sergei in person, he told us that he learned every single Shakespeare sonnet before he even went to, uh, to Gitties, to the, to the drama school that he trained at. So Shakespeare, again, sort of bled into the script, and we kind of just sort of worked with it, and it was sort of my joy to get in my my most, like, famous quote of all time. And I don't have any tattoos, but if I did, this one would go on my arm, which is, uh, there is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And mm -hmm. I kind of really wanted to sort of get that into the film at some point, you know, the the sort of links to Hamlet and the links to Romeo and Juliet and the links to Shakespeare, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful that we could kind of bring in and make those sort of threads relevant and sort of argue things out, you know, through the words of Shakespeare, like it's like he does at the drama school or, or get to perform it. And so, yeah, it, it was, it was, and it has been at some point kind of like surprised some people, but uh, very nicely kind of added a sort of whole nother layer to the story. And I'm, I'm just really grateful that uh, you kind of like see see and acknowledge that. Yeah, no, it, it, it stood out to me. And I, I also have an appreciation of Shakespeare. I, I'm also fascinated with what you just shared though about uh, Sergei and the sonnets because the sonnets are kind of broken up into a couple sets. Uh, one is a set of um, love letters to another man um, of a very deep love. And then another set mm -hmm. is to the dark lady. And it's sort of, so it's like, there's also that kind of parallel universe just in the concept of, of the, the sonnets and, and firebird. Um, I also want to go to the firebird itself um, in the, in the movie. Um, early on, and not not uh, and and like you, Tom, I'm trying not to give any spoilers um, because I want people to see this and and have things uh, opened up for them um, in in their experience of the film. But um, uh, Roman takes uh, Sergei to a production of Firebird, um, 
in 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 Russia, and uh, um, you know it's this beautiful ballet, um, you know, with a demon and a firebird. Um, what what is the conceptual meaning of that? And to me, also, I take firebird as almost a double entendre, um, sort of standing for Roman himself as a pilot, and that kind of the passion and flair of who he was. Um, can you go into that, that um, symbolism a little bit? Um, I was going <laughs> to let Peter answer it, but um, it, yeah, the, the link with, with Firebird as well, of course, is that, you know, what, what sort of like from a, a kind of wider perspective, what sort of the Firebird is as a sort of, uh, mythical being is really about birth, sorry, death and rebirth, and that happening many times over and over again. And um, you know, the, the sort of many moments of the film which kind of ring true to that, but also the the significance of the the ballet really is that it it really kind of like serves as this breaking point or breakthrough actually for Sergei in the film, and so you know effectively the firebird or let's say like in this case ramon unlocks sergey into following his dreams and following his heart and also following love and it just happens that that was like you know the reference which we decided to make like in the film um for this you know this this staggeringly beautiful piece of music and and ballet to have that as a turning point for sergey's the rest of sergey's life he he watches this um, ballet and it, it changes his whole perspective and everything forever and you know he'd always loved theater but he had sort of abandoned theater as well because of obviously an experience which happens earlier on in his life which again i'm not spoiling but it right. kind of like leaves behind a strand of the story which he sort of re-picks up again and, and is the sort of like unlocking process and this sort of awe and fascination that he experiences whilst watching the ballet and then from then on just goes like right i'm i'm sort of taking the reins on this thing and i'm i'm going to go and sort of like accomplish my dreams and follow love and i think that you know that's a really nice parallel you drew between between what like kind of ramon can do and sort of how he he is in some ways like that kind of unlocker that firebird yeah it, it also serves as because it's so dramatic and so passionate and it's it feels like it should almost be underground culturally. I mean, it's like you're going from this very repressed culture where, you know, the fact he's walking into a ballet itself seems like a renegade act on its own. And then to see such passion and almost artistic freedom being expressed on the stage is kind of like very symbiotic to everything else you guys have created in the film of, you know, the passion behind the scenes and, you know, um, you know the 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 full depth of the the experience of of the characters. Um, one, I want to shift gears. Thing, to, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Let me jump in just for a second. I had a question for Peter uh, and, and and or Tom either. Um, one of the things that I found interesting, um, even though the political overtones were noticeably absent, which I applaud because. It made the story just so much more, you know, humanistic at that level. But the menacing presence of the Zampolit, uh, which is a Russian word for political officer, uh, who was the overarching villainous threat throughout the thread of the film. Um, Peter, how did you manage to, and the actor that portrayed that major, by the way, did a brilliant job as a Zampolta. How did you? How were you able to convey that without going political with it? I mean, it was there. It was in the background. Anyone with working knowledge of the Soviet Union and and the repressive nature of that regime, um, you know, that's a common factor. But just how were you able to do that? Because I mean, it was so brilliantly done. It wasn't overstated. I think it was one of the challenges, actually, how to find the right tone, how to find the right uh, level of threats, because um, 
quite a few people who rate the early script were saying, oh, you should make it like more thriller, more thriller. And we went that direction and it felt like totally wrong. It felt like it was becoming an action film, which, which is not. It's a forbidden love story. I mean, somebody today morning said really well that it's uh, like call me by your name but set uh, in a dangerous surrounding of Soviet Air Force instead of the beautiful uh, pastoral Italian countryside and, right. and finding that balance was was probably one of the toughest actually um, challenges during the shooting and also the editing um, I think we really did the small moments, and as you as you pointed out, the Zampolit, the KGB major, uh, plays a key role at coming in at the at the right times and and almost reminding us that this is not safe and it is not going to uh, end well. Um, but it's, um, it's it was definitely one of the uh, biggest challenges because obviously people who lived under the Soviet occupation or also the kind of older generations here remember the Cold War well, but the younger generations really don't have a clue anymore about what the Cold uh, War really meant or felt like. Even in Russia, when we did a screening in Moscow, a roughly 20-year-old audience member asked me, so why did the uh, KGB major keep uh, chasing them? (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah, it's 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 also interesting how like you know fear becomes almost like its own character in the in the film and like these really small moments which we actually haggled with our uh our editor about like even at the script level about you know we we see like for example uh Sergei walks past a, a corridor at one point and there's um some people recording you just see this this image of of recording equipment and people listening and these kind of few like subtle places that we kind of put in these these kind of clues kind of create this sort of subliminal uh fear so that because again like in the Soviet Union it wasn't sort of like you know you're you're kind of being like policed and watched and it's all in the obvious it's all in the unobvious and it's all in the in the walls have ears and you've got to be very kind of mindful about how you speak and then the the kind of level of fear becomes not something you can necessarily see but more something you can feel and um it's kind of amazing to watch this film with an audience and this the the knocking of the door with like three knocks uh appears several times in the film and uh when you actually when we watched it with a live audience at um frameline film festival it was kind of amazing by the last time you hear this there's almost like people's sort of groans of dread that you go through mm-hmm. again. You don't necessarily know mm-hmm. who is behind that door. But that's the kind of reality is that, again, sort of kind of, we worked pretty hard to sort of be able to refine that into a place where it's also just not in your face. It's kind of subliminal in the background fear. Go ahead, guys. Uh, what was really interesting too was actually to listening to the intro uh, by you and the news from Chechnya because that whole subject matter is very dear to our hearts. We actually contributed to the Russian uh, uh, LGBT network a few years ago when the whole situation started uh, to help them uh, evacuate people. And having watched Welcome to Chechnya, it's it's a, it's such a mad reality that this whole scenario is repeating in a in a new way in uh, Russia and it, it really makes me sad that the progress that was made in the 90s is now almost like gone worse or, or as bad as it used to be during uh, during the 70s with article 121a yeah, that's close Peter I know it is, Peter. It, is it is hard um, I, I wanted to touch with that uh, the subliminal fear that uh, Tom was talking about. Why I think you, the the fact that you made the film in the way you did is so important because it's the experience around the world is is now on this huge spectrum. I mean, not to say that everything's hunky dory in the United States, but comparatively speaking, a lot of the young people who are LGBT do not understand a lot of these threats and the American military 
um, you know, a decade, uh, two decades ago, were weren't quite as extreme as the Russian one, but they were, you know, there was that element still even here um, that a lot of younger people don't quite understand. And yet in the other parts of the world today, we have that fear coming in in a really harsh way. Um, and it's, you know, the fact that you guys made a film where you pulled that out a little bit, you know, the environment's there, obviously, for credibility and everything else, but given us a way to um, have the catharsis to understand it is, is part of the thing that I think makes your film iconic. Um, I, wanna, I need to switch gears a little bit, guys, just because we're running out of time um, and we need to do the, quote, unquote, housekeeping part. How do people see this? When, when is it showing? Where, where can they have access to this? Well, the first uh, immediate possibility is this Saturday at 1.30 uh, at the Directors Guild of America as part of our LA Allfest screening, and also I think on their virtual platform for the three days after that. And we will be at different festivals. We are going to Austin on Thursday, so next Friday it's screening at Austin's uh, Prison Festival. Will be pretty much every week at a different festival. Uh, San Diego opening film September 9th. And then uh, we are going theatrical in Europe, um, starting with a wide release in the Baltics on 5th of November, Germany, I think 25th, UK, uh, beginning of January. Uh, so the US theatrical release, uh, I trust, will be in the first quarter in the beginning of New Year. Okay, well, I, I hope the pandemic behaves itself, um, becomes not an issue. Um, I really think this should be an enormous hit here. Um, it has everything going for it. Um, your, your cast is beautiful. The acting is superb. The, the script is fantastic and right on point, and the whole combined film is, is just absolutely breathtaking. Um, and I wept for a good half hour after watching it. It was so effective um, for me. Um, I, I want to thank you both for being here. Um, um, I'll give you the last two minutes. What have we not asked that we should have? Well, we had such a thorough conversation. That it's yeah, I mean, that was, like, amazingly well covered. I mean, the only thing really is that, like, honestly, like, speaking... It's an independently financed film, 100% independently financed, privately financed. And really, if people resonate with the story, um, I would just really urge, you know, to, to reach out to us, like, through and on social media. It's amazing to, like, hear what, what this story is doing and the social impact that we want to create with it as well. And also just to kind of express uh, also where, where people might, like, see it like and where people might like to program it as well because you know whilst we're certainly not a small budget film for an independent production like there is still obviously the the way that there's nothing better than the word of mouth really for getting a story around and and helping it reach like as many people as as that can be touched really by seeing the film so yeah if, if you like the film we want to know where to like, see the film is there a website Sorry, is there a uh, website Firebird. you can go to? Uh, yes, our social handle is Firebird Movie on all channels, and our website is uh, firebirdmovie.com. And we'll there be updating that. Thank you so much. That. Yeah, thank you guys thank so you. much for being here. You. you are spectacular. Can't wait to see what you guys do in the future as well. Um, but this film is, is um, huge, 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 wonderful. So check it out, folks. Find it. Firebird is the film. Uh, check it out online. Um, you know, get it to your local theater. Um, it is well, well worth it. I want to thank, um, like I said, uh, Tom and Peter for joining us today. I want to thank my co-host Brody Levesque for all he does. And you can catch Brody on the L.A. Blade website where he is the editor of that publication. And you will find us back here again next week. And we will have another great, wonderful, fantastic show for you. I have no idea what it is, but we guarantee it will be worth listening to. And with that, and thank you from all of us here at Rated LGBT Radio, we will see you then. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio.